The scripture lesson today comes from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Let's share in God's good word together. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. What would you do if you knew you could get away with it? I mean, really, what would you do if under any circumstances you could never be found out? The answer to that question exposes our hearts. What you do when no one is looking, well, that's your character. So I want you to know I peeked at the answer to those questions about what you would do. And friends, they are disturbing. The next line in the Google search was, who would you kill if you could get away with it? Yikes. Friends, our secret hearts can be so very dark, and all of us have baggage. And today I want you to consider identifying your bags, checking your bags, and being free from lugging them around anymore. And one of the ways we talk about this is with the word guilt. Today we're in the second week of our sermon series, All the Feels, When Emotions Get the Best of Us. And when it comes to guilt, many of us naturally lean in one of two ways. We either wallow in it by going over this over and over in our minds, or we deny it. And in either case... When that happens, guilt is getting the best of us. We are in the second week of our sermon series, All the Feels, When Emotions Get the Best of Us. Today, we're going to talk about guilt. Now, last week, we talked about what God cares about is not our religiosity, not whether we pray with our hands folded or on our knees or with our hands in the air. What God cares about is our hearts. And so the wisdom literature of Proverbs says this, Above all else... Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. You see, what we say and what we do exposes our heart. You might say, oh, I didn't mean to say that. And the reality is you did mean to say it. You didn't mean to say it out loud. And Jesus goes on to explain this even further. He says this to the people gathered around him in the book of Matthew. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. The things we say, uh, the way we treat other people, it all comes from our heart. And if we're not careful, it will defile us. It will separate us from others and from God. Now I want to show you something real quickly. Around our house, my family loves peanut M&Ms. And here's the thing. What I want us to know is if I shake this glass, if I tip this glass, it doesn't change what was put into the glass. And, and I, want you to, I want you to think about that. Because haven't you said yourself or haven't you heard someone say, well, I wouldn't have said that if the kids wouldn't have done that. Or I wouldn't have done this if you hadn't done that. Or it wouldn't be like that if I wasn't under such pressure at work. Or I wouldn't have said that if I wasn't drinking. No, all those things are tippy or spilly. It doesn't determine what's in the glass. What's in the glass comes out when you squeeze it or you tip it or you break it. None of the external factors change what's in the glass. And I'm really glad that they're peanut M&M's. 
at our family at the moment. That's a good, fun thing. And that can be true in your life too. It matters what you put in your mind. It matters what you read. It matters what you listen to on your drive to work. It matters what you listen to on your drive home from work. It matters the last thing you think before you go to bed. And it matters the first thing you think when you wake up. Because all those things ultimately, eventually come out. What determines what is in a glass is not what happens around the glass, but what is put into it. And that's true for your soul. And the best way to be at odds with God is to so fill your glass with yuck and anger and hate and malice and whatever talk radio you're into. And then when pressure comes, guess what? That's going to spill out on your family or your friends or at your you know, cookout. And it's a mess. You know it. I know it. And so the best way to get at odds with God is to hurt God's people, is to hurt the people that God loves. And around here, we know that God loves all people. And so it matters how we treat not just those closest to us, but everyone. So this week, we come to something we all know a lot about, and that is guilt. If you've lived very long at all, there are things that you're ashamed of, things you wish you hadn't said or things you wish you hadn't done. And so oftentimes, guilt gets a bad rap. So I want to flip the tables just a little bit and let you know about a researcher, Dr. Brene Brown. Some of you have heard me talk about her before. She says this about guilt. Guilt is good. Guilt helps us stay on track because it's about our behavior. It occurs when we compare something we've done or failed to do with our personal values. Guilt is a good emotion that God gives us if it leads us to action. So guilt is good when it leads to action. Say that with me. Guilt is good when it leads to action. Guilt is destructive when it leads, when it lingers, or leads to shame or anger. Guilt can lead to depression, anxiety, a weight that's on us that's just too heavy to carry. Guilt is something that lets us know there's something wrong and we need to move to action. And, and Dr. Brene Brown, she makes a very real distinction between guilt and shame. Guilt says, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. Guilt says, what I did was bad. Shame says, I am bad. You might think of it like this. Guilt is to our spirit what pain is to the body. It's a marker that something's wrong. And if it leads us to corrective behavior, if it leads us to repentance, if it leads us to confession, if it leads us to reconciliation with those we've harmed, then guilt is doing its job. But if it just hangs out, or we deny it, or we suppress it, it can cause all kinds of chaos in our life. So, I want to make sure that you're not hearing what I'm not saying. First of all, let me say this. There are three kinds of guilt, and guilt is all over our culture these days. So, the first thing I want to talk about, uh, but not for long, is false guilt, because that's dumb. It doesn't help us at all. False guilt is owning a situation or a feeling that you did not create and you are not responsible for. I was in a lovely conversation with a wonderful mom this week, and she was really feeling guilty that her kids did not have the spring she wanted them to have, or the summer that they had hoped to have because of stupid COVID. Friends, there's no guilt in that. You, you didn't create COVID. You, that's not your fault. If you're feeling guilty or badly about things that you have absolutely no control over, let that go. That's not yours. It won't help you. It won't help others. So we're not going to spend any more time there. Don't fall into that trap. 
The second kind of guilt is acknowledged guilt. And that can be super helpful. Where you say, yes, I did it. And now I may be called to do something about it. That can really be beneficial in your life. To own your stuff and to move on. And the third one is one that's super destructive. And that is denied or suppressed guilt. When we deny guilt or really any emotion, it empowers that emotion and has unintended consequences. Oftentimes you'll see this uh, with parents who are absentee at home and they make all kinds of crazy decisions around their children's lives. Or maybe they have unresolved guilt about the way they were brought up. And so they're very lax in their parenting when they need to be involved, or maybe they're over-involved when they need to back up a little bit. And it's not because of the kid or, or the child's actions or what's going on. It's actually about unresolved guilt in their own life, about overworking uh, or being absentee uh, or being overly angry or whatever it is. But you can see this. If you let guilt just simmer under the surface and that turns to anger or shame, then all sorts of weirdness comes out of our lives that we don't intend And we don't control. So the problem with guilt is this. It creates a debt-debtor relationship. If I do something wrong to another person, I then owe them an apology. I need to make it right to them. And so when you do something wrong to another person, you take something from them. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's reputation. Maybe it's the joy of the moment. But in every case where we injure another, we're taking something from them. It's a debt-debtor relationship. We say things like, well, I owe you an apology. Or, I don't know how I can make it up to them. I don't know how I can make it up to you. How do I make this right? The problem is, we don't experience guilt as debt. That's not the emotion that we feel with it. We experience guilt as weight. And that's why we say things like, oh... You know, when I had that conversation, I felt so much lighter. I felt my spirit lifted when I was forgiven or I was set free. Because when we carry guilt and shame and anger around, they weigh us down and they suck life out of us. They make life less than what Jesus has come to give us. Now, we have to be honest about this stuff. There is no way to undo the past. The past is the past, but it doesn't have to define us. It can remind us but it doesn't define us, and it should not set our future. We have choice about all these things. So here's the good news. You don't have to spend this season of your life denying your past. You may have denied your past uh, in your past, but you don't have to any longer. You have choice about that, and today just might be your day where you begin to be set free. Because there's a place, and there's a space because of Jesus where your past is neither forgotten nor condemning and is at the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, the next words that I'm going to read to you come from the Apostle Paul. And you and I, we feel guilt about things. We've made bad decisions. We've hurt other people. And sometimes we've uh, blown up entire families. And it's just been awful and terrible and, and nothing we want to think about. And so we want to push it down. But... I want to remind you that the person that wrote these words we're about to read together and that we read at the beginning of this section of the service was written by a man who had persecuted, jailed, tortured, and killed 
innocent people in the name of God. His name was Saul of Tarsus. You might know him as Paul. And he wrote this letter to the church in Rome. And he was doing ministry with people that he had thrown in jail. He was in ministry and teaching and preaching with people whose uncles and aunts and cousins and sons and daughters he had either killed or put in prison or harmed in some way. If there was anybody that knew about guilt, it was Paul. And here's the answer that Paul gives, knowing everything and owning what was true about him. He says this, There is therefore now, not in the past, but now, no condemnation, not at all, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he could say that because he experienced it himself. You see, Jesus has set you free. You don't have to carry around your guilt or your shame or your anger anymore. Paul goes on, he says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Friends, you are free. You don't have to carry this stuff around not one minute longer. Because God has done what we could not. God has done what the law could not. God has done what every offering, a grain offering, uh, a food offering, a celebration, all the things that religious people tried to do to get right with God, none of it was sufficient until Jesus came. And because of Jesus, you and I can be set free. So God did what the people could not, what we cannot. And so Paul continues, he says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. And my seminary professors, when they talk about flesh, they're talking about our natural gifts and abilities. Our ability to plan and to think and to execute. The things that we can do in our own power. It doesn't have anything to do with our sexuality. It's not that kind of fleshiness. This is really talking about our nature, our selfishness, our own passions and desires and wants and wills. And so when we come to this point where we realize what God has done, that God has sent his own son in Jesus to take away your guilt. Yes, you you did what what you said you did. Yes, it's okay to remember it and it's okay to be set free from it because Jesus took that for you. And so when we come to the cross, it's not denial. When we talk about our guilt, when we confess our guilt, it's not denial. No, it's yes. And and Paul says this clearly. He's like, I was the worst sinner. Yes, did I do these things? I sure did. Am I proud of them? No, not at all. But am I changed because of Jesus? Yes, I am. And you can be too. It's not denial and it's not condemnation. And and friends, my experience, I just want to be real personal here. It just wears me out. The fights, the ideological fights on the left and the right. I have left-leaning friends that really, if they could, they want to deny anything bad going on around them. I'll, I'll be like, ooh, that's bad. And they're like, well, it's really not that bad, or there's these reasons for it, or there's these excuses for it, da-da-da-da-da. And it drives me crazy that it seems like they won't own the realities of the situation, some of which they've caused themselves. And then I have friends on the right. And my friends on the right, they're like, yep, that was bad, but they're so stinking mean. There, there's, there is condemnation there. It's like, yeah, those people are bad. I've I've got it right over here, but they've got it wrong. And so we're the right and they're the wrong. Friends, neither of those work. And Jesus isn't in either of those camps. Jesus says, yes, that's the book on you. Yes, that's the book on humanity. And yes, you're forgiven. No condemnation. Not at all. No excuses. No blaming. Not about the circumstance. Yes, that happened. Yes, it was terrible. Yes, that was blowing up my life. You don't have to live that way anymore. 
you are forgiven, you are free, you are set free because of what Jesus has done for you. That's the good news of the Bible. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus knew everything that we knew, feels all the feels that we feel, goes through the same things that you and I go through, and yet he lived a perfect life. And yet, to deal with sin, God condemns sin in the flesh. All of it. Not just some of it. Not just somebody else's. Not just yours. So Jesus is basically saying this. Yes, you did that. Yes, that hurt you. Yes, that hurt others. And, and I love you. I love you anyway. We're not going to focus on your past. We're going to focus on your future, where you're headed. We're going to focus about this moment right now, right here, that you are set free and you are loved. And there's nothing you can do about it other than to receive it with joy. So this no, no condemnation that the Bible's talking about, friends, it includes no divine condemnation. God isn't condemning you. It includes self-condemnation. Why would you condemn yourself when God does not? And here's the other thing. It includes all condemnation. And so if you've been set free, you have been free indeed. You've been set free indeed, friends. And if somebody else is trying to dog you about your past, you can just let them know. Yes, that used to be true about me, but it's not true anymore. Yes, did I make some pretty bad decisions when I was 20 or in my 20s or in my 30s or when my kids were small or when my kids were grown or in my workplace or in my home or with my family system? Sure, I did. You can look it up. I mean, most things in this world, they're, I mean, they're pretty apparent to people. So there's no use denying it. There's no sense in trying to keep it a secret or, you know, or keep it concealed for the rest of your life. That's a terrible way to live. You can say yes. That was true for me, but because of Jesus, it's not true anymore. So, Paul continues to in his letter. He says, So, that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, not according to our power or our abilities. No, not at all. We could never do that in our own, but according to the Spirit. We no longer own ourselves. We are owned by God. And it is the Spirit of God that guides us, heals us, helps us, leads us each and every day. And so how do you live this out? Our action steps this week are these. One, stop condemning yourself because you no longer belong to yourself. You belong to God. You belong to Jesus. Jesus has given everything he could for you, sits at the right hand of the Father, and judges both the living and the dead. And you can invite him to come live inside of you so that when you get squeezed, when you get tipped out, you know what comes out of you? Something even better than a peanut M&M. Something so wonderful, so good. When you get squeezed on every side, it's good. The good and the joy and the love and the service and the kindness get squeezed out of you and into the world because Christ is living in you. For those who live according to the flesh, to your own power and abilities, folks like that, we will... When we do that, we set our minds on things of the world, of the flesh. But those who live according to God's Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, goodness, and self-control. To set the mind on the flesh is death because we can never do it. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 
So stop condemning yourself. Secondly, stop condemning others. It's a waste of time and it makes you look terrible. It makes you a hypocrite. Don't do that. Stop condemning others because that would make you a hypocrite. Now, in full transparency, uh, much of this sermon comes from a sermon series that Andy Stanley did, and it spoke so deeply to me, I wanted to share it with you. And so I want to share a direct quote from his sermon series um, called You're Not the Boss of Me. He says it like this, The more judgmental you are, the less aware you are of your own sin. He says that's been his experience. And as a pastor of more than 20 years, that's been my experience. When I see somebody in our church or in the culture that's really pointing at other people, what I know deep in my own soul is that they're hiding something. That there's something in them that they are so concerned about, so ashamed about, that they will never let the conversation even any, in any instance move towards them. So the conversation they drive is always one about somebody else's sin, about somebody else's condemnation, because they could never turn that mirror back on themselves and live to tell about it because they're so afraid to bring their luggage to Jesus in reality. Just know that I know that. Now you know that too. And thirdly, make amends wherever possible, except where it would injure them or others. This is just a part of the 12 steps. In the 12-step recovery process, it includes um, steps 8 and 9, and it's the practice of amending for your mistakes, damages caused by your actions. Uh, This is true in Alcoholics Anonymous and and all the AA groups. Step eight is this. We made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. And step nine is made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Now, friends, making amends is not an apology. And I want to make sure we understand this. Christianity is not do whatever you want, you can apologize and ask Jesus for forgiveness. That is not Christianity. Although it often gets, you know, kind of laid out that way. That's not what we're about. Christianity is about being right with God and others. And that requires action on our part. So an apology is made up of words. An amends is made up of actions. An apology goes something like this. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry I missed your birthday party again this year. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I borrowed your car and never returned it. Those don't go very far with people. If you want to make amends, if you want to be a Christian witness in the world, you show up to the next birthday party, you show up to the next event, you show that your life has changed because of Jesus, and you give them back their car. That's what Christian life requires of us, to be a witness, a winsome witness to a hurting and broken world. So, as I talk about this, as we talk about guilt... I want to ask you this question. Who's on your heart right now? My hunch is that God's placed somebody in your heart where you've done wrong to them and you've not talked to them about it maybe in years, maybe in decades. I invite you to talk to Jesus about that because what God has done for you, you can do for others. Andy Stanley closed his sermon Um, with this question or this statement, and it was just a truth bomb to me, and so I want to share it with you. He said this, We fear the consequences of confession more than the consequences of concealment. And that is a deadly mistake for your soul. It's just a lie. And we fall for it way too often. I want to read that again. We fear the consequences of confession more than the consequences of concealment. And friends, because of Jesus, you don't have to 
fear any longer about your confession to him or to another person that you can trust about the real you and what you need to heal and to move forward in your relationships. I want you to say this with me. My past will remind me it will not define me. Say that with me. My past will remind me it will not define me. May that be true for you, friends. In Jesus' mighty, loving, forgiving name. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.